Hello, how are you doing? I'm Craig Parkinson. You are listening to the Two Shot Podcast. Sit yourself down, pop the kettle on. We're going to have a nice old chat. Who's it with this week? I'm going to tell you right now. How the devil are you? You all right? You sure? No, I know. I know. I'm the same. I haven't done my Christmas shopping yet, but that's okay. You've got plenty of time. But speaking of Christmas shopping... Now, I don't know what other podcasts you listen to. I'm not naive enough to think that we're the only one that you listen to, even though, yes, I'm sure we're your favourite, and I love that. Thank you. But one podcast that I listen to among bloody loads... It's called The Modern Man. Now, Ollie Mann, who hosts it, has been around for donkeys. He's done loads of podcasts, uh, mainly Answer Me This, that you will know and love, I'm sure. And if you don't listen to The Modern Man, then you should. It's, uh, how to describe it? It's like, it's like a magazine podcast. So each week at the start of the podcast, they'll have uh, The Trends, with Ollie Mann and Ollie Peart. Then they'll have a feature interview with Ollie and then a sort of a sex column with Alex Fox answering listeners' sexual problems and things like that. It's all really interesting. Now, Ollie Peart, who features at the beginning each week, he gets sent uh, tasks from the listeners. Now, not so long back, there's a task that got sent in by a listener. And it was to write an original Christmas song and try and get it to number one. Now, he has stepped up and wrote a very beautiful, heartwarming, catchy, very Christmassy Christmas single. And with it being a podcast, he thought outside the box and he thought he'd get other podcasters involved. And what he's done is produced a song called the sounds of Christmas, and the podcasters that he's got involved are amazing, okay? Let me tell you. So, it's the podcast all-stars Christmas single. So you've got the modern man on involved there, that there, there, the guilty feminist, the beef and dairy network podcast, which I love, answer me this, wannabe, the comedian's comedian with Stuart Goldsmith, the tip-off, loads more, and guess what? The Two Shot Podcast got the call, yes. He asked all the podcasters to sing a line on this Christmas song. And I tell you what, it's brilliant. That's the good news. The bad news is you've got to listen to me singing on the podcast. Now, it's a charity Christmas single, so with every cloud and all that. So what I'll do, I'm going to play you a little bit of this Christmas song and uh, then I'll tell you about the charity and about how you can buy it. It's 99p. It's not a lot of money. It's going to a good cause. Right, you ready? This is just a little snippet of The Sounds of Christmas by the podcast All Stars. So how am I supposed to move on and forget? Because all I want for Christmas is... So you get it. It's good. It's good. It's a good feel-good Christmas single, and it's ninety-nine p. Now this is available from Apple, Amazon, Google, wherever you get your singles at midnight on the fourteenth of December, and all proceeds are going to Samuel's charity. Now this is a very small charity. You might not know it, but if you listen to the Modern Man, last week's episode was an interview with the charity's co-founder. And it's called The Empty Seat. Do go back and listen to it. So Samuel's Charity, what do they do? They help kids living in an underfunded 
children's ward, they make their lives much more comfortable because it's really difficult at the moment and that's what they do. They pump all their money into that. They do all sorts of stuff just for those children. And this single is 99p. I know what you're thinking, Craig, I could probably just stream it on Spotify or Apple Music. Well, you could do that. But you know what? It takes 100 streams to count as one sale. 100 streams. Don't do that. Just part with 99p and help change some lives. Contribute to it. That's all it is. All right? 99p. The Sounds of Christmas by the podcast All Stars. Do it. Do it. Do it. Please. It'd be great. Okay. Enough of this waffle. Let's get down to some belting conversation. Now, a few weeks back, myself and producer Griff came to London. We had a few days of recording and we asked the brilliant John Joe O'Neill to come and meet us in London and he did and um, it was nothing short of a beautiful conversation and I'm so chuffed that he came now if you've been to the theatre recently over the, if you've been to the oh if you've been to see one of the pinter plays at London that Jamie Lloyd Company's doing at the moment you may have catched caught, catched caught John Joe I'm tired in one of those um, if you're Watching Netflix at the moment, and you've seen the Joel and Ethan Cohen film, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. He is in that. He's in the very final section. It's it's a, a brilliant film, but it's all six, I think, six different stories. And he's in the very last one with Brendan Gleeson, and he's fantastic in that. Um, I find him more fantastic as a human being, and I hope you do too. This is episode 68 of the Two Shot Podcast. With John Joe O'Neill. I shall see you at the end. Cheers. It's a nice way to start, isn't it, John Joe? Yeah. Are you good with technology in general? Technology? Yeah. I'm all right. Yeah. I can make a, you know, get your TV working. I find it very frustrating, you know, doing all the wires and stuff. I'm not very patient with it, but I can get it done just about. I haven't been left behind yet. Really? Yeah. You're good with computers? Mm. To the, to the <clears> no, DR, I'm not. I said, to the I said computers, and I went, computers. <laughs> <laughs> computers. You malfunction. <laughs> no, I'm not. Like, I haven't needed to be, really. You know, but I'm, you know, I'm all right. Pretty logical, actually. I'm pretty good with logical things. Really? Yeah. Does your patience last in other areas better than it does with something with technology? Know, my girlfriend says I'm patient with people. Um, I don't know if that's... I don't know if it's true or not. What if someone's looking from the outset and they went, Do you know what, I'm not, maybe I'm not patient with people, but when I'm around you, I look at you and I go, yeah, you are patient with people. Maybe that's it. Maybe it is. Yeah. Maybe you're just too relaxed and that's nice. Just too chilled, yeah. <laughs> they used to call me, they used to call me, uh, at primary school, they used to call me fly catcher because I, I would, like, I would go into, like, a, a zone where I'd be open, you know, like, staring into space with my mouth open. <laughs> Flycatcher. Flycatcher O'Neill. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's this photo in our house, like the family portrait, and I'm just like mouth agape. Yes. <laughs> Eyelids slightly down, you know, just. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they think I'm patient, but I'm just somewhere else. Are you always quite relaxed, though? You seem quite relaxed. Yeah. No, I can be anxious too, you know. I can go inside myself too. You, you, you know what I mean? Sometimes mm. get, that withdrawn can mean there's stuff going on in my own head. Does that rear, rear its head quite a lot? Sometimes, sometimes like, uh, a noise will go, happen in the street and it'll startle me. What do you mean? It'll just be a normal noise, like, you know, a truck going over a, a bump. Yeah. And I'll just go... <laughs> 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 really, uh, like <laughs> proper PTSD. <laughs> that's, that's what it feels like. What was it like when you were growing up? I'm talking of talking of segue. Talking of PTSD. It's because I grew up where, in Belfast. But whereabouts in Belfast? Were you? West obviously Belfast. I, West Belfast. Mm. Right. Mm. Yeah. Um, I suppose you'd say West Belfast cut in half. 
Um, it's all all more or less working class, and you would you would say there's there's and there's a wall down the middle. I have to take my shoes and socks off. Um, off and you'd say, you know, the Shankle and the Falls, Shankle being the Protestant working class area and the Falls being the uh, the Catholic working class area. And I was from the Catholic side of that wall. Yeah, that's where I grew up. Large family? Just three of us, two sisters, older. Yep. Pretty mm-hmm. small. What did mum and dad up to? Um, my dad was... Um, like lots of men around our, he he didn't really have an education. We were quite poor, and, and he was he was a criminal, and uh, he was a bank robber, not not that successful, obviously, but and he was you know he was in prison when I was a kid, and my mum worked jobs to get by. That was it. Was he in prison for a lot a lot of your young childhood, or about five years? Yeah, right. Were you taken to see him? Yeah, on Fridays. Get out of school to go and see him. How was that explained to you at such a young age? Did that were you be able to process that then, or was this quite a difficult thing to explain to a young child where their dad is and maybe why he is where he is? I came down um, one day and said, "Where's daddy?" He was he hadn't been around that week, and. Um, Mum and my sister were there, and she laughed and said, we were hoping you wouldn't ask, and they laughed, and then they said, look, your, your dad was arrested for armed robbery, and he's in the Crumlin Road jail. Um, yeah, and I, I kind of always known, um, you know, that my dad did stuff that, you know, in that area, maybe, and that he had been in prison before, you know, in the, in the 70s. Um, and he had been involved with Republican stuff very early in the Troubles. Right. And then had become disillusioned with the movement. And he, you know, he, he didn't have an education and it was hard to get jobs and, and he kind of fell into criminal kind of activity and um, and that's what he did, you know. Yeah. He, he, uh, did he carry yeah. on doing that? Throughout your life? Yeah, he did until he ended up um, probably around late 80s, 89, he he got done for armed robbery and did about five years. And then he came out and he was, you know, too old for, you know, getaway cars and stuff like that. I say, when you say bank robberies, you know, uh, not that I know everything about it, but it's not like in the films where, you know, people are doing big heists, yeah. you know. He was, you know, doing things to, to get by. You know, the big one was always just around the corner, you know. And um, he never got that. And, yeah, he didn't break into people's houses, you know, but he went into places, and you know, with a, a replica weapon and, you know, and took their money. Yeah. Um, I feel I can talk about it now because he's dead. Um, he died two years ago. It's not something I would have felt I could talk about really while I was alive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And also, um, by the way, we don't have to talk about anything you don't want to talk about on yeah. this. It's, well, we, this went, is... we went straight there. I know we did actually. We did go say that, and it yeah, did kind of shock me. me about how know. deep we went so quick. Then, but it's you know it's not the first time, and it certainly won't be mm-hmm. the last. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did your mum? Was your mum automatically <clears throat> sort of wearing two hats and taking on the, the mother father role? Of course, yeah. As lots of lots of women in Ireland do, you know, yeah, they've, they've held the country together, you know. Um, and yeah, you know, my mum was the complete opposite to my dad. She didn't drink, didn't smoke, exercised, went to mass. You know, she was kind of a Catholic and still is. You know? Yeah. And my dad was kind of the opposite. You know, he did everything to the nth degree and um, didn't believe in God. And and you know, he was very angry. Of what he saw around him, as I think a lot of people growing up in the sixties and seventies and in Belfast would have been. Um, he was always very kind of political on his views throughout his life, um, and also very cynical. He wasn't kind of romantic about anything. I think that's why he became disillusioned with politics. Um, but he's a very funny man, great singer, you know, and just had a real wit. Um, I think 
Was he quite the raconteur? Oh, great, great yeah. storyteller. Yeah. You know, when he kind of, his eyes would change. And when he started to tell a story, you know, he'd just go, okay. And you just go, here we go. This one's <laughs> we're in for the ride. We're, 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 we're in for one here. And, uh, and towards the end of his life, you know, those stories would, it became a thing, you know. Um, I felt he was getting them all out, you know, telling me it's good. Um, when we'd spend time together, he'd tell me stories. Yeah. Great storyteller and a great singer and a very good looking guy and charming. And, Seems to have all rubbed off on you. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a mix of both of them. Are you yeah. really? Yeah, yeah, I'd say so, yeah. I kind of, I'm, yeah, I would say I have both those things in me. When you were growing up, because obviously your dad was away mm-hmm. for, for large periods of time, mm-hmm. was there a, a male sort of role model in your life or was it you, was your mum fulfilling both of that for you? My mum was definitely doing both. Um um, it didn't seem that unusual to me. You know, some of my kids would think, thought my dad was dead or didn't have a dad. Same with my sisters, because he was always away. Right. He'd never go to any parents' meeting or anything like that. You know, he he didn't... I, don't know, I think he was very, actually, embarrassed. Um, the idea of kind of... I think he felt very insecure about his education. He didn't, he didn't learn to read until he was in his 40s. My mum taught him to read. He really? Was, he was learning to read the same time as I was learning to read at school. I can remember specifically knowing how to spell pharaoh because we must have been doing it in school and, you know, religious stuff, you know, about the, the pharaohs and yeah. or something. And um, I remember him saying, how do you spell pharaoh? And me being all proud that I could spell it at the same time because he was learning to read at the same time. Um... So I think he felt very insecure about his education or, or, or looking stupid. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, How was your education? How was the school system there? My, it's, it's a very good school system in 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 Northern Ireland. There's yeah. not really a public or private school system there, do you know what I mean? So the, the kind of good schools are accessible. Um, so I, I went to a boys and girls primary school, which I loved. And uh, I passed my 11 plus. Right. Which meant I could go to the, the grammar school. Yeah. And my mum wanted me to go to this big grammar school in town. Inst, or the Royal Belfast Academical Institution. Would you ever want to go there? John Joe should say we're going past it in the bus, you know, because, you know, that was fancy. You know, this big school. <laughs> yeah. had a fancy name. <laughs> Not many Catholics went there. It was mixed denom- denomination. But, you know, it was very... I went there, and they called you by your surname. And I, I didn't academically get on then, where creativity was valued and English was about storytelling in my primary school. Suddenly it was about something... It was about critical response to poems. Right. <laughs> rather yeah. than writing poems. Yeah. And I didn't get on with it. And I, academically, the only role I could fall into was being a troublemaker or being a bit naughty. And most of the other kids in school were... With a very di- very different backgrounds to me, I'd say it was mostly middle class, and the huge majority at that time were Protestant, um, which of course is significant in Belfast, especially at that time. I was going to say at that time, did that what impact did that have on your school life? Well, it made me feel very like outside, but I had to develop a a character to survive. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that was to try to be naughty. Which of course I was amongst my local friends. I wasn't the the mad one, mm. you know. But you took on that. I persona. took on that to I think just kind of survive. And um, yeah, and it was you know I had a different uniform to all my mates. You know, my mum had she, you know, she wanted me to not get caught up in stuff locally. Yeah, as was any parent's fear, and she wanted me to you know still have opportunity to. You know, to not get caught up in nonsense. You know, my dad never wanted me caught up in any nonsense either to get involved with any politics or, you know. And um, so she succeeded in that way. And that it made me feel, you know, I, I was away, but um, I didn't do well academically at all. You know, like five GCSEs or something, you know, in this school, it was meant to be, you know, something. Some would say so it was, that's, a, it was that's... A funny. It was. I, I felt very much. My friends in that school were working class Protestants, so it was people from similar uh, 
financial and economic, uh, economic and social backgrounds, but from the other side of the wall, as it were. Yeah. So they were my mates, you know, and we, we'd banter with each other all the time about Celtic and Rangers, and it became very surface level banter. But um, I don't have any meaningful relationships from that school. It was just kind of a difficult time. I think I went back there and kind of almost broke down remembering. Uh, but th- that was a time when, as I said, when my dad was inside. And, uh, and also, you know, as, as much as like you know, my dad wouldn't want you to get involved in anything socially or politically mm-hmm. off the track, so mm-hmm. to speak. Mm-hmm. At those times, it must have been really hard not to, because <clears throat> it's what it was all about then, and it was mm. there. Totally. Um, yeah, but also people who who got involved, it, it came at a huge personal cost to them. And my my dad was very open about his regrets about getting involved in someone else's war. And you know, he says just never, never, never ever do that. And it, it, to him, his feelings were it all becomes about power and 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 money. And the whole thing was about money to him anyway. You know, yeah. Whether you where you the point of where yeah. it starts, but <clears throat> it becoming about you know. An internal um, civil conflict is ridiculous. You know, don't don't get caught up in that. That was his his view. But yeah, I, I think it must have been. It, it was very easy for people to to get involved with you know something or other. Um, yeah. So after you not you know certainly you're was not doing so great academically. Mm. What was the plan then? What did you think you wanted to do? My dad had always drummed into me that I wanted to be an electronic engineer. That was the future. To him, that was computers, you see. That was the internet. How funny that we started talking about technology at the beginning and I didn't even know about that. (laughs) (laughs) So he was like, be an electronic engineer. Electronic engineer. That was the future to him. You know, he was telling me this is the early 80s and he was thinking of someone that fixes TVs and videos and he saw the technology of that of that nature was the future. Um, yeah, no, it would be computer science or whatever, but, you know. Yeah. So I, I just kind of said that by rote. But, um, I, you know, like any young boy, I wanted to be a footballer. Do you know what I mean? I wanted to play for Man United. I didn't have anything else, really, that... Well, did you? Were you very sporty at school? I love, I just, you know, come home from school, get the ball out and go and play with my mates every day. That's, right. that's, that's just what we did. We yeah. all did. You know, I wasn't the best footballer, wasn't the worst, but I just loved it. Um, but then it wasn't, I, I kind of, I went to an audition for this local group. They were doing Bugsy Malone because my mates were going on a Saturday. And you but, thought you'd just tag along with them? Yeah, because I wouldn't have had anyone to hang out with on Saturdays. If you weren't doing what they were yeah. doing, right? Yeah, and uh, they were going for the girls. And uh, I was like, and I I remember them on their way and me walking with someone else and then going, you know, oh, fuck it, I may as well just go. And I went and, um, and you know, I, I got a part. Just, and once I was just trying to get away with it, to, to people not to laugh at me when it came my turn to read. Yeah. I had to do an American accent and, and be clear. And no one kind of flinched. I thought, fuck, I've got away with that. <laughs> That's what it's all about, isn't it? Getting away with it. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I got the part and it was just, it was great. It was a breath of fresh air for me, a teenager, you know, hanging out with girls and and also it wasn't about the very macho thing of growing up, the pressure of growing up in in an area like that. Yeah. You were, it was very old fashioned. It was still like, macho is not the right word, but it was like, who's the best fighter or the best footballer? You had to be the best at something. To survive. Yeah. And the, the biggest fear was being the worst at something or being picked on or being bullied. It was like that was going to be the status for the rest of your life. That, that's what you were going to be. The hardest men were going to be the most successful men. That, that's the way it just seemed. So if you had to, you know... And the weakest. Just if you had to drink... By the uh, if, totally. If you have to drink, you know, a bottle of cider by the fort to not get left out, that's what you do. You, you As any kid does to survive in their teens... Um, well, that peer pressure is peer pressure. It's everywhere, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, whether it's, yeah, totally. And, um, yeah, I, I, and this was just um, joyous. 
Do you know what I mean? Singing songs and no one without fear of people laughing at you. Or do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it was just a, a safe place. It was a safe place, and I loved it. How old were you at this point when you did this? You remember? I was thirteen. Right. Thirteen, fourteen. Thirteen and fourteen. Yeah. So do you feel by doing that it opened some sort of door? Mm. Yeah, I, I applied for this thing that was I suppose a bit like National Youth Theatre. After that, and I remember getting in to that, and that would be like every day over the summer. That'll keep you out of mischief for the summer. And I was just, I, I loved it, you know, having discipline and yeah. exercise in the morning and. So if if I remember all these things and remember these moves, that's good then, isn't it? It was just a very simple equation for me. I, I didn't find that hard. I could kind of do it. Completely different structure system to the academic yes. route that you were going through with school. Exactly. It, it seemed to reward endeavour, where school didn't reward endeavour as far as I'm concerned. No. It rewarded a certain way of thinking, and I instinctively didn't shift. But also, not everybody thinks in the same way. No, it's ridiculous. And so... thank God I didn't yeah. go like, I know what you mean. Let me just write it down. As lots, lots of people obviously have that skill, but I, I, my a part of my brain was too stubborn or, or didn't know how to. Um, whereas this seemed to reward just my effort, and maybe it unlocked another part of uh, yeah. up here that that you know you weren't connected to. Yeah, doing the other way, the other system. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And that was up for me. I thought, if this is a route, I'm in. That's it. Hated school, hated homework. If a job felt like school or homework, I would have been so unhappy. So something that didn't feel like that, like school, um, that was it for me. Were you aware at that age that this could be something that you could actually do for a job? I'd heard of I'd heard of people who'd gone to drama school, right? And they were working like in theatres and in the West End and stuff. I found out the name of this drama school that this guy went to. I looked it up. I got I sent away for the prospectus when I was fifteen. And I thought that's it. This is what I'm doing. And um, I, I I just went all in. And, and Mum was like, "You can do anything you want, son." And because she. Oh, she was fully supportive of me. Oh, yes, you. fully. God, that's so funny because I was talking to somebody a while ago and it was their parents going, look, you can do anything. You can. Yeah. You can do anything. Trust me. You can do anything. Yeah. So, oh, therefore, that's the free. You're free Think then. You're free. And Is so it? I was like, so that's it. I'm go- I'm, I've decided I'm going to Guildford because at this point, you know, I was in love with the musicals, you know. And um, I thought, I'm going to that place because that was, like, where they all went in the West End shows, the people that were in, like, <laughs> Les Mis and Starlight Express or whatever. Yeah. They were in, they went to that place. So I was like, great. That was it. For me, that, that was my rada, you know? I was like, and uh, you couldn't go to your 18. But I, I started, like, <laughs> I thought I'm an actor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I yeah. Thought, well, if I decide I'm a, okay. Uh, you know, I was just, like... Really, uh, I'd found my thing. I'd found my thing. She, Mum used to always say to you that everyone, everyone was had one thing that was their niche. She, she used the word niche before I'd heard it used anywhere else. You have to find your niche. I was like niche. I like that. I thought niche was just the name of your unique talent. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I was like, so everyone in the world is the best the world at one thing. She was like, yes, that's right. You just need to find it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, what was it? I believed it, and uh, I, you know, I that. love that though. That's <laughs> really good. And my dad was—he was—he was delighted too. You know, he was very supportive. You know, and I'm—I'm I'm very lucky. I have very supportive parents. When I would eventually go to drama school, you'd meet loads of kids who came from, you would say, less, you know, whose backgrounds were more. Middle class and you know less. I, I don't know traumatic than growing up in West Belfast. You know what I mean? Let's say I don't. I'm not fond of using that word because people in West Belfast are a strong community and they're all together. It's yeah. just when you come outside it, you think, "Fuck me, that was different." You know. But people from more, I don't know, privileged backgrounds, but then they hadn't. They were at odds with their parents. 
who wanted them to be doctors and or barristers and accountants, and accountants yeah, yeah, yeah. like other people in the family had been. Whereas West Belfast was a place that spawned boxers and singers and and artists. And yeah. so why would an actor? That was the route. It, it was a, it was a route. Uh, in West Belfast, you know that that was the stories of the area, you know. And were you going to be able to get money to go to this drama school? No. So I, there was no. Um, Would you not have a grant at that? Point? No, nothing. And I wrote to everyone, and I, I I went over to Guildford. I only applied to Guildford, and I I, I flew over, and auditioned, and I got into Guildford. I had no money, and the fees were about twenty. It's. 24,000, but they were like eight grand a year or something. Yeah. And sure, we no money really. We were a subsistence family. You know, we just, you know, there's no like savings or anything like that. Or, just surviving, yeah. Yeah, that's a lot of money. And so we rode away to everyone and I think I got some money from prince's trust maybe give me like some money towards you know it was like a grand or something or 1500 quid right nothing to give me something and one small wee business give me like you know whatever it was 50 quid or something like well, that like a you know business local home. business yeah because right. i did all the local businesses but then the school put me forward for this cameron mcintosh award all the drama schools would forward both two students so guildford did this they they forwarded me for this Scholarship, so they knew that you weren't going to be able to afford it. They if- knew, so I was in touch with their bursar and stuff, right? Um, and this was in the summer now, and we were meant to start in September, and I still hadn't funding. And uh, how were you feeling at that point? Did you think I was still on a blind kind of if I believe it, it'll happen it type happen. of thing? And so my mum so was really, really nervous, and my dad, he was you know, probably nervous too. Um um, so then I flew over and auditioned for it, and uh, and I, I got it. You know, I auditioned, and I was like, I did a song and a speech in the the comedy theatre. Funny enough, I've just finished the play there, and I didn't think the whole time. It's now the Pinter Theatre. That's where right. I auditioned. I just finished two weeks ago there, and that is that I auditioned on that stage. Did you not think about it any time you were doing that play just now? No. Oh my god! Isn't that weird? That was the first. I'm funny to think that that's kind of where it all started, and you've now you've just finished I, I, working. I didn't even it. think about it. That's so weird. I feel like I've wasted something. <laughs> <laughs> but how great that you've remembered. Uh, I know, I know. That, that's the connection. And I remember doing a song and a speech, and and people were in the uh, auditorium. And you were eighteen. Yep, yeah, uh, seventeen at the time, just about to turn eighteen that summer. Still quite young to get Very on, young. That, on that stage think, and do that. I know, I flew over by myself, got the tube, and you think about it, like... you got keep, you, Your mum and dad didn't come over with you? No, came over by myself, got the tube from Heathrow, got off at Leicester Square, went to this wee coffee shop and, you know, ordered a, a coffee. So I thought it was, probably thought it was an adult thing to do. <laughs> and do you, do you ever see the way Americanos, they have, they have like a creme on top? Yeah. So black coffee, it still has that, the, the, the creme they call it. But I kept sending it back. I said, no, 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 black. <laughs> I, I thought it was a milky coffee. <laughs> I remember. I'm and- sophisticated now. Get that away from me. I want a black coffee. <laughs> I know what I'm talking about. Like, black. I like my coffee black. black. You know, big man. So, yeah. And I, I you know, and I came back and uh, a week later, I was, I was doing like the warm-up. We were doing a, a youth theatre show. And they said, we were doing a warm-up, and someone says, John Joe's a phone phone call for you, stage door. And I called, and it was one of the, um, I think it was my mum, actually. I said, John Joe, you got it. And my, my dad has run out to the garden and opened this bottle of champagne that was in the house. I don't know where it had come from. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Or, you know, and he, he screamed, you know, wow. with... A mixture of rage and joy, I would imagine. Like a big fuck you. Do you know what I mean? Know <laughs> what my son's darling. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And just the the they that was the best thing that ever happened. I mean, I I don't think anything could come near that ever. 
again. That, that, that gave me a full scholarship and meant I didn't have to work. I was able to afford my rent, money to live on and a flight home um, at the end of each term. So they give me like living money and covered my expenses. Oh my God. It was something like 1,500 quid a term they gave me. And which, because my rent was 50 quid a week. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, yeah. and as a student, you you didn't have those the money now that in London pays up fifty quid a week to live on was also decent. You know, yeah. just, it was just well, like, especially when you were a student because everything yeah, is, you spend so much cheaper two fifty on your lunch, etc. You know, but especially when we're going back because we're kind of more or less, mm. I think, around the same age, mm. aren't we? Yeah. So back then, everything was cheaper. Yeah. Friday night, if we wanted to go to the pub, oh why ninety nine p one ninety nine something like that for a pint. It's not like that anymore. So that money, every it, term, it was it was great. That would last me until the final term when I thought, oh, I'll supplement. You know, started to kind of, you know, you know, then I'd get a salary job. But that was, you know, that meant it was luxury. So that that, that covered my my whole uh, education for you know for that stuff in drama school. How was it moving over for the first time, knowing that you were going to be based over here? For more or less the next three years, I was very forward-looking in that I was eyes in the prize type of you know I was I was very like the thing we talked about earlier. Just you know I was all in. I didn't I would stay behind after college and stuff, and I didn't know what to do with myself if it wasn't a hundred percent practicing something. Right? It, do you it's know what I mean? Really conscientious about what you were doing. Is conscientious the right word? It's not. I mean. Just like <laughs> I don't know what it, what it was based in, but I was running. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Towards and away. Do you know what I mean? I was. Need, I need. I needed to make it work. Do you know yeah. what I mean? And I was here to go to drama school, and and I just thought I have to. And a part of me thinking, you know, I'm I'm not good at this. Do you know that? I think well, when I was at when I went there. All these people had gone to all these fancy dance classes and had great singing notes, uh, singing voices, voices that now I might regard as synthetic, but at the time I thought were just, you know, they could oh, hit all the high notes. Their singers, that's how you do it. Yeah, yeah. They, they could be in all the. And I thought I, I can't do this. And it was was that intimidating know. at that point? Did you yeah, it was because and also people knew I'd got this scholarship, so people were like, "Oh, he's got that scholarship." So I felt like. There was a kind of, I don't know, pressure or something. I probably just put that on myself. But also, I suppose it come, you know, you've got that accolade, so therefore, they might think, oh well, he must be, he must be something, something quite special. Yeah, and at that point, it was musical theatre I was doing, and musical theatre is much more quantifiable in terms of singing and dancing. Can you do the moves? Can you hit the notes? How well can you hit them? How well can you do them? Do you know what yeah. I mean? Whereas acting is something that's. Not really quantifiable, whereas that you can kind of, it's something you can, or certainly felt like you can be the best at, you know, and I certainly wasn't the best at any of those skills. Um, So I think it was, uh, yeah. So do you think because of that, and because of that feeling, it made you want to work harder? Yeah. I thought of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe even to yourself? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had to. Me and uh, this guy called uh, Titus Hoffman. Good, he's, he's what German. a name. Great guy. Love, and, love with Titus Hoffman. <laughs> Titus Hoffman. And he he was my um, he was my best mate, you know. In the first year, we'd just stay behind and, you know, in the studios and kind of, you know, you know, practice tap dancing and stuff, <laughs> you know. Were you, was it enjoyable that first year? The first year was very intense. I just kind of, it was all practice and trying to like stretch my voice and stuff like that, stuff that, you know. Um, and then the second year I moved in with a couple of mates, people who would stay my mates for a very long time. And then that was more living with boys. And then that became closer to a typical student right. you know, life where we'd go out the weekends and stuff and get up to antics and, you know, and sit up playing PlayStation and, Watching all the Al Pacino movies, and you know it was it was more studenty then. Did do you think any of your work suffered because of that, or did it just change? Did it go up a level? No, I, I was I was gripping less tightly, if, if if you know what I mean. 
But um, sometimes that's all right because you, yeah. really, you need to relax. You do. You need to be. You need to know what it's like to be eighteen or nineteen. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas I, I thought I could just learn everything. You know, I didn't think I had to. You know. And also, you're changing as a person. You've left home. The biggest thing that's happened is you've yeah. left home. Yeah. You think it's about something else at the time, about you know launching into this adult life. But actually, the the biggest thing that's happened is you've left home. Um. And I'd been preparing to leave home, uh, I think probably since it was, you know, 16. Yeah. Um, well, probably even earlier when you first decided it was going to be Guildhall and it was 15 and you thought... Well, Guildford. Oh, Guildford, no, sorry. No, 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 no. And that's where you were going to go and it was 15 and you thought, right, yeah. the plans, there are afoot. Yeah. yeah. See, I, I don't know. I, I, I think back and just think of how unconscious I was of the, of the whole thing, you know. Most of my twenties, I think I just wandered around like that, just kind of did stuff without a plan, just trying to stay in the game. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what I felt. It was just about I don't know. Was there ever any times when you were there that you thought, ah, I just don't think I can follow through with this now? Because there's got to be well, not there's got to be knockbacks and setbacks, surely. Oh yeah, awful. It's because like <laughs> it's stupid now, but like I I wasn't a tenor, I, so all the good parts of musicals, it, they all hit the high notes, and I would just be like squealing, you know. It's yeah. <laughs> it's awful. So the focus of my entire self esteem was like my voice. I was pretty good at dancing. I would have been one of the boys that was stronger at dancing. Um, but singing, I just didn't have the kit. And sometimes, and 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 that that was the real focus, you know, uh, for me. And it was very frustrating because I thought, how am I gonna have this career in, in these musicals if I if I can't hit the notes, you know, if I can't all all these great parts, you, you need to be able to, you know, have a good top G on you. Yeah. Um, I definitely wasn't going to be in Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So you're like thinking, what? And you're trying to find what? What would I be? You know? What, you know? So there were times I'd, I'd cry and stuff, and um, and I became. I was just there was weird things going on. You know, I was very I became very conscious of my body, and you know, I used to. Uh, have like a quite a negative, you know, view of my own body, um, thinking I was fat and stuff. There was obviously something going on where I was not feeling enough, and I was thinking, you know, if only my singing voice was better, that would be all right. Or right, did you know what I mean? I was going yeah. through a lot of still teenage stuff. Do you know what I mean? That's stuff you go through. And then you sort of battling with your own self-esteem. Self-esteem, yeah, 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 just thinking. Yeah, so it was just, yeah, very teeny, you know, time. Do you think in retrospect you were too young? I don't know. Um, I think... And I'm certainly not saying, do you regret it? Because I'm not really a massive mm. believer in regrets because otherwise you're not going to be where you are now. There's probably certain things that had to wait a long time to be processed. And I hadn't processed them. Certain. Well, because you probably, because they were unprocessable. You couldn't yeah. actually at that point. Yeah. Because you didn't have the tools to do so. Yeah. Because of being at such an age, maybe. I think so, yeah. So I was just very... Made it all about something else, I think. Until I was at least 30, and then I was ready to kind of process certain things. I say certain things, I just mean raw things, not not necessarily narratives. No. Do you know what I mean? Just, you know, feelings. How was leaving? How was, how was after you left? Getting out of that sort of safety bubble. Did you feel ready? Well, I, I didn't feel. All my family was there. I'd speak to my mum, you know, on the phone and stuff. Um, I did feel ready. I just thought, you know, I did. But I didn't. I didn't. I was a. I was blamed with it, you know. I just thought, this is it. This is what I'm doing. Yeah. 
you know, and I'm I'm going to do it. You know, I was like, but you know, for, you know, my mum watching me must have thought, oh, Jesus, you know, look at him. What happens if it doesn't work? Or, you know, but I was, yeah. I was kind of fearless, but at the same time had a lot of stuff, you know, that, I, you know, I wouldn't begin to have known how to kind of think about. Um, so, no, I don't think it was, it was too young. Um, I definitely would have been too young to start, like, looking at what... to go to a different type of drama school um, and start to look at characters or why people are the way they are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was too young for that, you know, but I wasn't too young for flinging myself about and, you know, meeting girls and, you know, and kind of going through, you know, growing up you know, and living with a group of boys and, you know, Forging friendships. Yeah. 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 But that's all part and parcel of growing up as well. It's just, it's, you're totally. just doing it in a different, different place. Different place and a different time of life. Yeah. And sometimes, just, yeah, it takes a way to unpack certain things. Yeah. What do you find difficult during your career? What do you... What do you maybe? What would you have put a block up on, maybe, early on? I don't know what you mean. What? Um, looking back now. What, well, looking back that, because you were so full of positivity then, and there was maybe a lot of tunnel vision early yeah. on. Was there anything then that you thought, "Oh, you can totally. That's fine. I can drive myself into that." But actually, it's it's very very difficult for you. But you were too blind to see, maybe. Yeah, well, that type of tunnel vision rewards is rewarded by certain things, and in what way? Well, for example, with me kind of preparing to go to drama school mm. and all that, and believing in it, and you know, getting good at tap dancing and practicing stuff, your kind of blind endeavor and intense investment is rewarded but then in like in an acting career you it's you can't be gripping everything or like meaning it trying to mean it most yeah or, or trying to be the most relaxed <laughs> there's something <laughs> more about your life experience and kind of bringing that to it and 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 waving between being an actor and being a normal person I kind of hadn't really thought about that and it took a while for me to kind of relax and into working that way do you know what I mean to yeah. loose, loosen my grip on it you know I'd learned to be very committed and to try hard whereas it's not really about that or it became about something different um, so that was that was a journey I think you know that happened at the same time as kind of doing bits of growing up. Yeah. And it was probably only when I was 30 that I started to bring a different thing, you know, or be, be able to work in a different way. And is that something that you learned through various jobs or through various people throughout the 20s? I don't... I don't know. I, I think I'd... I'd come out of a major relationship and... Uh, and kind of had that thing, you know, that lots of people do when they come out of their first thing. You have a heartbreak and, you, and your, your world kind of wobbles a bit. And you're that guy, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, he talks about it, and, you know. And <laughs> I, I demanded a lot of attention. <laughs> God, I, I really took those shots. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And... Uh, you know, what's it all about? I went into the Hamlet, you yeah. know, I just went into the Hamlets and started, you know, kind of, you know, but I suppose it, it kind of, I don't know, it made me kind of change my relationship with work. Do you know what I mean? And I was able to bring different things to it. I probably just lent, lent on it a bit. Was that I mean, a conscious thing for you that you did? You were right, I'm going to change. Or a circumstance, or something from circumstance. It wasn't conscious. I, I realised I was able to escape into it. You know, I was, I was doing, 
a lot of Shakespeare at the time. And it's funny, uh, working with Shakespeare, I don't know if you've found this, it's something that the, the more you put into it, if it's, say, a, a real emotion or something that just throw yourself into it, the more it kind of rewards you, you, you can hide really well in it. Right. Do you know what I mean? You can, and you're kind of rewarded for it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It helps... It, it kind of you feel the love coming back at you and it kind of something happened then and I felt lifted up a bit by working with his writing and I kind of felt a safe place in that and I ended up going on to do loads loads of stuff at the RSC and before that had been a few years where you were you know all my friends were going up for these you know you know loads of men and togas in ancient Rome and I, I wasn't getting seen for them you know and or going off for movies that then the budget would go. And I was kind of trying to keep all these plates spinning and thought, you know, I'd like to be in them. <laughs> you know, I felt like I was worried of f- falling behind. I still needed to do a big film or something like right. that. Do you know what I mean? It yeah, felt yeah. very much like that. Like I hadn't, I hadn't got over a hill of some sort. Do you mean, it was still mine to lose. It still felt that there was so much at stake. Um, what happened to that lad from West Belfast who it was all about the musicals? What happened there? Did that fall by the wayside? Well, I, I stopped doing musicals qu- quite soon. Oh, I, so you did do some. Sorry, we've skipped for a, bit, a little bit, haven't we? Yeah, I did like... Um, <laughs> I did like half a sixpence. Right. <laughs> you know, up in the West Yorkshire Playhouse and I did like Dick Whittington at Sadler's Wells. I did a few things where I was singing, but I had I had thought then that you could do everything, and I was like, I, I want to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I I didn't realize that they're separate industries really, and they're treated like separate industries. And there's very few people um, who do both. Jenna Russell, who I mentioned earlier, is one of the few people that actually yes, actually is. actually is allowed to cross over. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I found out soon that it was kind of... I remember a, a, an audition for Adrian Noble, who, who was running the RSC at the time. He said to me... And I was doing a play, Translations, at the time. Right. Um, And he said, so, you know, what, what, do you do musicals and play? And I was like, yeah, yeah, I want, I want to do it all. And he said you know, you're going to have to make a choice because in five years' time, when I'm when I'm looking at a list of people, if you've spent ten, five years working on musicals and five years working on classics or new plays, the Rock Quarter, or doing, your education will be very different at that point and what you bring to the table will be very different. So it's not just about people being blind and seeing that you don't have infinite capabilities. He was like, look, it, the route, the work you do will define what you how you grow. And I thought, okay, I have to knock out in the head. And I, 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 I stopped doing musicals, and this was like a year and a half after coming out. Oh, so really, really quick. Yeah, a year and a half. Yeah. And straight away, I was like, no more musicals. And then I changed the agent, you know, to an agent that didn't do musicals. So And, and then I, I kind of felt like I had to spend a lot of time proven that I wasn't that right do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, and yeah. then so when I went to the RSC the first time I went there I thought now people will take me seriously you know that would be like that would be like <laughs> I'm a proper actor because I went that's like RADA isn't it the RSC people right. people can't think I'm like a musical theatre boy so that that will definitely get rid of that. We well, are almost kind of thinking, right? I can retrain myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That 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 was it. I'll reset that. Yeah, and also my own confidence. I think because when if you're if you're twenty one, twenty two, twenty three, twenty four, and people know you've done musicals or know you went to music, people love talking about it. They'll say, "Oh, do you?" But I would audition for a film, and people would say, "Oh, sing as a song." You know, just oh. they're just kind of one. Any musicals in your CV seem to glow much louder than anything, you know, than the Brian Friel plays or, yeah, you know, yeah. the David Hare play. Or So it, was, it really felt like people w- 
they wanted to understand what, what I was or what you were. And the musicals thing was just a very handy box. And I found it frustrating. Yeah. And, and I knew that in, in order to have a kind of a long and successful career, I'd, you know, I didn't want to be dealing with that box. Do you know what I mean? So when I first went... it's odd enough as it is. It's, yeah. <laughs> and down the line, I'm going to, to make a living, I'm going to need to be doing TV and film. And, and I saw that as a straight route, you know, get taken seriously and do TV and do a film. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's so funny sitting talking to you. It feels like it's real bare bones and it's all actually about something else. It's always about something else. And sometimes people careers, you look at it and it seems, but actually underneath they were fighting with themselves or well, yeah. trying to prove something to themselves well, or someone so. else. Yeah, I think it's, a, it's quite universal. Yeah, yeah. How do you deal with the days off when things aren't going swimmingly? Because it is such a roller coaster. Um, yeah. But you know, you're deciding to you know to stay on. You you don't want to get off at the next stop. You're staying on. So yeah. that's your choice. It's our just the choice that you make. Mm. And how you deal with it, I don't know. I find it quite fascinating. I, I I wouldn't say I deal with it well. I used to like pretend I wanted to be like a photographer or something, you know. And I go to the library, you know, and th- I'm, I'm I'm reading all about this. I'm educating myself in the downtime. Yeah, I tr- I try to learn a new thing, or and then I just found that exhausting because I was just pretending, you know, that I wanted to do something else. Because the real things, yeah, it's there, still there. So I'm kind of, I'm, I'm less forceful about that, but I play piano, and I'm teaching myself to play piano. I have a teacher sometimes. I try to do something. I'll go to the gym. I'll try to do a bit of exercise every day. That's my one thing that I'll feel guilty if I don't do. You know, um, it's a bit of swimming, or I'll cycle somewhere, or. But does the exercise help? Because I always that, find that's... the exercise helps everything in my mind as well as everywhere else. Yeah, it's totally about my mind. It's only about my mind. Right. You know, it just makes me be able to deal with it. And, and, and um, But I, f- I find it really, really challenging. And also sometimes your financial flow doesn't correlate with um, doing work that you're really proud of no. and that outwardly would seem kind of great, like a great achievement. So sometimes I have I have to acknowledge that I'm stressed on one level because of money. You know, I'd love to kind of... It's sometimes just very hard. Your relationship with earning a, a living in this business is kind of it's a funny one. Because the you, you, you want to kind of pretend that you're above it. Of course you're not. You made this decision to kind of go into something that's not about the money. Yeah. So then you kind of like, but so much of it is and has to be. Well, bills <laughs> have to be yeah. paid yeah, and yeah, we totally. have to survive. Yeah. And then again you go, well, great, I can do this and I can be artistically and creatively fulfilled. Yeah. But I know for a fact I'm going to be fucking skint. Mm. And I don't know if, Mm. I can turn something else down that's gonna yeah, yeah. that's gonna put that food on the yeah. table, pay that person, pay mm. that bill, and maybe that's not gonna be good for me mentally if, mm. if, if I take that. Yeah. So it, choices are very hard. I find sometimes. Mm-hmm. And expensive. Yeah. Very expensive. Artistic principles are very expensive. <laughs> Is that a constant struggle for you, do you think? Um, yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, come near to a few things where you think this is a, this is a game changer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've, I've looked at, the, at the, you know, the, how much I would have earned over the, you know, when it came to season, <laughs> season three, you know, yeah. you're like, uh, that's that's you know that's that's a deta- that's a detached size. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but it's just around the corner. 
but also I, 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 you know, I, I love being a working actor. I love the fact that, you know, if someone says, come to the national studio this week, you know, it's, you know, 80 quid a day or 100 quid a day. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of, I'll do that. Cause it means, you know, I'll, for the money. It's a week where I'm not going to be spending money. Yeah. And also, you know, just... And also, you, you're getting I like, paid to go and play. And, and you know, meet your mates. Yeah. And increasingly, it's people you know. There'll always be someone in the room there's you can have a laugh. There's always one. There's, there's always, always at one. least one person. You know. Yeah. And then on the Friday afternoon, you just go for, go for a drink or whatever. It's, a, it's always worthwhile. But it's... <laughs> I, I like, you know, you know, still being, you know, getting involved, you know. But it's... Uh, yeah, I like doing theatre. You know, it's a it's it's an important part of my life, and they don't pay you very much. And my favorite the places I like to work don't pay you very much at all. You know, you kind of barely break even, really. You know. And do you ever think, even though you love that so much, you feel you're going to have to make a financial choice not to do something that you love? And do you worry about that? Is that something that you would worry about? Yeah, my next job, I'd be very surprised if it's good, if it'll be a play. <laughs> if it's that way, you know what I mean. And also, with theatre, you could be talking about committing four months in advance to earning five hundred quid a week. Yeah, before your agent and tax, you know. So it's it's taking you out of the game for lots of stuff. You kind of, but you know. Who knows? But yeah, it's, it's a constant struggle, I'd say. Has it ever got to a point where you've gone to, you know what? Nah. I'm yeah, done. but I just don't know what else I'd do. I think about it and I've not come up with something else. Do you see, you know, I know some people say they think about it. Do you, have you seriously thought about it? No. No. No, I'm in. I, I, I'd i say I'm kind of, I'll not give up. Which is a strange thing to think you made a decision that's about one thing for the rest of your life. And it's kind of like a kind of marriage of some sort. Do you know what I mean? I'm just like, no, I think think this is it. You know, I do think this is it. And I kind of think if anyone's friends of mine, old friends tell me they're giving up or, you know, I I feel happy for them. And it's not something that makes me nervous. It's something that I think is great. If you can do that, it's great. But, you know, know, you've still got that mentality... Moving over from West Belfast, going have to I'm fucking all in because what else can you be? And I'm also I'm living in London. It's I I don't feel necessarily at home here. I feel like I'm here specifically for for something. I don't know if London's that type of place anyway. I suspect it kind of is. It's a bit of a a money machine in that people come here to get something. They come here to work or to make yeah. something happen. Yeah. I felt more at home in New York, more welcome in New York. Do you think you'd ever leave London? Yeah, I think so, maybe. Um, yeah. Because I've, you know, I've, I've spoken to some people that have gone, yeah, I like it for a bit, but I find it a bit of a lonely place and a bit of an unforgiving place. Very unforgiving. I, I, I haven't come to terms with the idea of living in England I live in London and I don't call it my home whereas if I were to move to I don't know Brighton even yeah that would be living in England and then I kind of have to look at that there's always choices yeah so you know something about transitory about living in London even though I've lived here for more than I haven't. Um, but yeah, um, it's. But then I don't want to live too far from the mum. Do you know what I mean? Because you start to appreciate this, you know, family and stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, of course. Um, I had toyed with the idea of moving to America. You know, I got like a visa and stuff, and I'd spent a bit of time over there. And I've kind of explored that enough to think, no, I don't think. I think it's somewhere I like to work occasionally. But I don't think I want to live there. I think I want to be closer to family. Um, so that if they need me, you know, I can be there. Because being there for around the time of my dad, um, that was something I was really grateful for. 
you know, to be able to be there and just get on a plane. And also your priorities change. They do. You get older. They do. They do, yeah. John Joe's lovely chatting to you. <laughs> <laughs> lovely talking to you too. Enjoy that. Yeah, it did. I didn't, it went quite, uh, quite deep. And another episode is done. Yeah, um, that episode went deep quite quickly. Much to the surprise of myself and John Joe, to be honest. But it needed to be done. The conversation needed to be had. And uh, it was beautiful and, and brilliant. And I'm so pleased that he came on. So, John Joe, if you're listening, which I don't think you will be, but thank you so, so much. And thank you for downloading and subscribing you know how much this means to us it's almost the end of the year we've got a few more episodes in then we're going to get the best of out here keep those episodes coming in your best of 2018 there's loads to choose from tell us your moments we'll get them in you'll get a shout out it'll be a brilliant episode um because it's come up to Christmas and it, it's been very very busy for everybody and for you too I've no doubt we're not going to do the t-shirt competition till January. There's no points. No one's got the time to be doing it. So we'll do that in January. Fear not. Um, yeah, I think that's it. Should we go? It was a long one. Please remember, do buy The Sounds of Christmas by the podcast All Stars. All for Samuel's charity. It's 99p. It's nothing. Get it done. Let's try and get this at least in the top 40. It'd be fantastic, wouldn't it? Um, yeah, that's it. You know where to follow us. We are on, on, on. It's very late. Very, very late. What time is it? It's it's 11 o'clock. I've been up since five. Um, we're on all the socials. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at TwoShotPod. We're TwoShotPod at gmail.com. Please rate, please review, please subscribe. Please subscribe. Just hit subscribe, it means nothing. Do that. Let us know how you feel. You want things to change, we can do that. If you want. I don't know, we quite like the model. Seems to be going well. Let us know what you think. It's always brilliant to hear from you. We love your feedback. And um, we'll see you next week for, you guessed it, episode 69 until then I've been Craig Parkinson he's been producer Griff and this has been the Two Shot Podcast take care alright and I'll see you next week the Two Shot Podcast is presented by me Craig Parkinson recorded and produced by Thomas Griffin for Splicing Block our music our brilliant music is courtesy of Then Thickens cheers cheers